All right, folks. Thanks for turning into another episode of Bucks of America podcast. It's been a while since I've released a podcast. I've been on vacation and I needed a little bit of time to gather my thoughts about where my next moves are with the podcast. But thank you for everybody for being patient. But uh, this this episode is pretty cool because this is uh, right after a chart I just took with Captain Cody Lukes on the Wet Dream Sport Fishing uh, charter there out in Kiwania, Wisconsin. Now, a little bit of background here. I was look. I went to the Deer and Turkey Expo here in Wisconsin here back in March, and my whole idea about going to this was trying to find a charter to link up with and set something up later on in the year. Luckily, Cody was the only one that was able that got a booth and showed up, which was actually for his benefit because he booked some trips for that, and we also got to meet and get a chance to chit chat with each other, and. Over throughout the course of the summer, we chat a little bit back and forth, kind of getting things geared up. And then this last week before Saturday kicked off, I wanted to pin it, ask as many possible questions so this way then I can talk to the crew of guys that's come with me so this way they're prepared to go, like make sure they have proper footwear, clothing and such, and everything kind of fell together. Now, we had some guys come in, come off for the trip, but then we finally got a final, uh, final group of five guys to be able to make it out there. Now... Being this my first charter, I had a, it was pretty green when it came down to everything because it's like this first time ever actually being on a, a large body of water like Okaboji, nothing compared to, to Lake Michigan here. And uh, I'm just kind of glad that everything turned out. Now, it was a long day, but uh, we'll talk more about what transpired the day. But I wanted to introduce Captain Cody Lukes, and I want him to tell his story. So this way then, if you guys are looking for a charter, you can see why I booked with him. And then any other competition, if those who are familiar with the coasts, the east coast of uh, Wisconsin, there's yes, a lot of thanks, Jeff. Um, a lot of good competition. Pleasure out to there. be here tonight. But, with uh, you. I want Cody um, to give yeah, you guys so an ins- insight of what Kiwani, uh, how we I connected grew up or how here. This is my we connected you, in a sense that uh, hey, let's let's make this happen here. So Cody, here why don't you go ahead and take over? Give us a little introduction about yourself and let's kind of build I and let's, let's talk about how you became a captain. My father had a boat. And uh, he was an overroad truck driver, and he'd only be home on usually on weekends. And he would take me out on his boat, starting at about the age of four, out salmon fishing out of here in Kiwani. And uh, as a young boy, I got pretty quick uh, reeling in fish. And back then, fishing was fantastic. I mean, you come out here, you'd fill the cooler. Fishing was great. So as a young boy, it was easy to get into. Uh, small town. You know, the outdoors was the place to be. That's how I got hooked into fishing. And growing up, you know, I just stayed into it. You know, I always wanted more of that experience, being out here, being on the lake, being in the outdoors. Um, growing up, getting older, I'd ride my bike down to the pierheads uh, three o'clock in the morning down the state highway just to get to the pierheads because salmon fishing, um, you guys kind of experienced a little bit. I wish you were, guys would experience a little more of the, the twilight bites. I call it where that first morning mm-hmm. you're, you got a good bite. And that late evening, you got a good bite, right? When that, that light gets darker or when it first darkened in the light in the morning, um, that's the best fishing. So I'd always ride my bike, be down on the pier heads before then in the summer, um, we'd kind of watch water temperature and that's how I learned, started learning about how important water temperature is Mm -hmm. to salmon fishing. It's very important. Yeah. So that's how I really got hooked into it was uh, just being here, being involved in the outdoors. 
yeah. So, um, you know, it was always a dream of mine uh, to be a mm-hmm. driver captain. And that's awesome. Even after so, high school, uh, you know, it's you, kind you, of you that. You little background in your, your you know, college like experience, like one where day you all went from that. Like, why don't you talk about, like, after high school and stuff like that, and how you I thought about maintained, like, how you, like, what does it take to become a captain? Why don't you tell us about your journey to achieve your Even in high school, I was working on charter boats, you know, and that kind of helped me become a charter captain was that experience being out on uh, other charter boats, working as a deckhand, uh, where you saw my deckhand, Jake, or uh, Bill. Bill was out here with you guys. And, uh, you know, that's that's how you become a, a captain yeah. is you got to get the time, the experience being under, on the water, on a boat, you know, with other captains is great experience. So, yeah, I went up to college uh, after I got done with high school uh, deckhanding, and um, I found a captain Bill, up there Bill, on yes. Northern Lake Huron. You know, I went to school in St. Marie at Lake Superior State University, and I went up there to study fisheries and wild. And uh, I got hooked up with a captain pretty quick on Lake Huron, and I worked there my whole uh, my whole time at college. I went as a deckhand up on Lake Huron and I learned so much about more mm-hmm. about the fishery and uh, you know Lake Michigan, Lake Huron we're, we got this unique tie because there's okay. no boundary in between us there's a bridge that goes over the two so it's really, they call it two lakes Lake Michigan, Lake Huron but uh, there's a lot of influx between the two, you know how the move and stuff and being where I was in the Straits of Mackinac, I learned a ton about fish movement and more about temperature and even fishing different species up there was we really targeted lake uh lake trout a lot more than what we do in kiwani um here in kiwani we target a lot of salmon and trout uh, Mm -hmm. rainbow trout uh up there it's it's mostly a lake trout fishery so different techniques i learned up there which was great because you know i use kind of tie some of those techniques into salmon fishing down here. You know, everything I learned from being a deckhand up mm-hmm. in Algoma when I was working in high school to being a deckhand in college working in the Straits of Huron and then Straits of Mackinac on Lake okay. Huron. And then uh, that's really how I got my uh, job offer was be- was because I was working as a deckhand on Lake Huron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, a lot of thing is uh, trust. You know, I mean, you you have to have a lot of trust in your deckhand. Um, as for me, you know, mm-hmm. my job as a captain is no. As a deckhand, what what does a captain try to start you off with this way that he, it builds your foundation? I have to, to rely on my deckhand achieve that captain. to keep the line straight out there, change lures, uh, change depths, um, and to grab the rods when a fish bites, he's got to be on it quick, you know, and you kind of quick, those fish can be, they're there and then they're gone. If you're not on it right away, uh, you know, you'll lose Mm -hmm. that fish. Oh man. (laughs) Oh, biggest mistakes I ever made as a deck. Yeah. Um, 
are we not mm -hmm. asking enough questions? I mean, uh, you know, being mm -hmm. every boat, every captain. So, what was runs some of the biggest uh, mistakes you made as a deckhand? So, no matter, I mean, it could be the boat right next to me here, or it could be you know another boat on Lake Huron. Lake Huron, we all run gear a little different and to our liking and to uh -huh. learning how that captain likes his gear ran i think that's probably one of the biggest challenges of being a deckhand mm -hmm. um yeah you get a little uh mm -hmm. i always my when i was a deckhand you know i was always to try to do my job the best and try to find a connection mm -hmm. with the clients Okay. No, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I I use the deck. Not mm -hmm. everybody uses a deck. Yeah. Well, that makes I perfect mean, sense. Uh, then a lot uh, of guys, especially in Kiwani, rely on a in the process of uh, and then the learning to be now. Is there is there more than the one spot in, in, in the, the hierarchy from uh, a deck me, to a unfortunately, captain? I run or is a it all based on how big the, boat, the size um, of the boat is? And it's not geared up for autopilot. So I really rely on a deck can to help me out mm -hmm. as, uh, you know, it was kind of windy out when you were out, Jeff. Okay. Uh, I had to be on the wheel a little more than I would like, you know, sometimes I can get away from the wheel and kind of try to communicate with you guys and be eye level a little bit more. But when it's windy, I got to stay on that wheel a lot just to try to keep the boat and the line straight. So, and that's another thing, the importance of a good deck can is, you know, He's got to do a lot of the work uh, on his own, mm -hmm. you know. And Bill was a fantastic deckhand. I mean, he was on top of it, making sure everything's all switched. You guys' communication was was right on par to make sure that you had the right um, lures on there and swap things out when things was if things weren't biting you. You would you just provide like, hey, try this out, try this out, and you'd mix it all up. So this way, then we'd have an opportunity, a higher probability of uh, catching more fish because we probably had six or seven fish that we lost. But uh, it was it was a learning curve for us because none of us have ever gone salmon fishing, and then having that uh, information that bill gave us like how you should grab the rod coming out of the rod holder and to get everything keep that tension tight and such it's because we're used to inland fish and that you can you can balance it out but they don't they don't have as those thick jaws as salmon do you know it's like pike and bass and crappie and stuff like that. They're, they're all different they're whole obviously a whole different species but you um, know it's like you have remember, a different skill set with those um, and how you set that hook and how you make sure you don't lose it so it was it was a lot of fun with yeah, that right I there did we run uh, out deeper in a way or did we know we you can't beat yourself up for what happens to you we tried because we started in the morning okay and fishing yep, it and cool. we went through it all and it's like we you like we had what 14 lines out in the morning It's either 12 or 14. We had quite a few of them out. Yeah, no, we ended up, uh, 
let's see where we turned no i think was about uh we turned in about 400 feet yeah of water. we started shallow because the, the boat traffic wasn't so too roughly, bad we were able to make a few passes right but we just couldn't uh, get anything to start talking to us we and, uh, then yeah, we decided to go so out we all the way out deep there you took us a what 20 feet of water 10 miles something like that 20 30 feet of water we're kind of limited to how many rods we can run efficiently in there and you know it kind of starts getting tough around that 13, 14 lines running mm -hmm. in 20 feet of water. Try Just try to keep them all straight. Yeah. Um, when we get out deeper, uh, you guys saw when, you know, we could kind of run, you know, more like, yeah, I think we're running 19, 19 rods out, I think, when we're running out deep. So, yeah, a little more when we can run out, but we can space them out a lot more because of the water column that we're fishing in. Yeah. We hit 19. Yeah. That's completely true. Cause I mean, that's really impressive to what you did for so many hours and keeping those lines straight and making that, that big, large circle and going in so, and back and forth and just kind of knowing, yeah, no, using your skill set and knowing uh, so your we're allowed, knowledge just like of that anybody area. Else, it's like, that was just really impressive. Just 19 so, lines is a lot uh, of management right there. And Bill managing right, back Jeff? and forth all those, all those lines okay, to make sure people, nothing across and, and watching the boards and stuff like that. Now, as a charter, how many lines can you so have out that's at one uh, 15, time. 18, I don't know, 21 so rods that you. we were allowed to run that day legally. So it's it's just a matter of how many people you have on the boat at that okay. time. Yeah, we had five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, sometimes Jeff will do smaller groups where. Okay, because I wasn't you know, quite sure how, actually, that, how maybe the DNR think, managed uh, about that weeks, for that, that uh, story and I was talking about, captains, about that 31 pounder. Like, if you guys were just that, separate that was only entities, a couple but I, that I didn't, came out nice and did a charter with us that, that afternoon. Boats, and they actually called me that day and I had an opening. It was a Sunday afternoon. Well, it was a late Sunday morning. They called me looking for a boat, and I had an opening Sunday afternoon. It was just a couple, so I got a deckhand together, and uh, it was just four of us. So we only ran four, uh, yeah. 12 rods. That was our maximum. So uh, it, it comes mm -hmm. into play a lot in the smaller groups where, you know, our, our lines that we run, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, that's that had definitely can, helps the you know, experience for the. For I the, logged many the, hours, uh, and that's one of the the things that you need to be, to be a captain. Boat, so is you need so to log. Now, Oh, I think what, it is. Uh, what were some of the steps uh, that you took, to had to take here. to become a captain? I think like, it's. Do you have to take classes Whoa. for what type of license? Give me a second Can you give us here. A I'm trying I, on that. I think it's 360 days on the water that we need to log on the water to log on, and uh, 
So that's like six hour days. So, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, when we're in the summer here and as a deckhand, they'll get 12 hours. So um, that counts like a day and a half uh, for their time to be towards working towards it to be a captain. Uh, so it, it, when you're out here all the time and it accumulates all the time uh, a lot pretty quickly, um, that was one of the things, just time on the water is big. Um, a lot of paperwork. Um, I did take a class. So I got an offer when I was in college uh-huh. to become, you know, to be a captain. I got the offer to be a captain on Lake Superior my senior, my last year in college. And that that person who made the offer to me owned a big charter company up on Lake Superior. And he asked me, he says, Cody, he says, what, what is your, would you like to be a charter captain one day? I says, yeah, I says, that's always been a dream of mine. He says, well, I'll tell you what, Cody, I heard a lot about okay. you. I heard a lot of about the deck handing you did in Lake Huron for Lake, Lake Trout. That's all we do in Lake Superior is okay. big Lake Trout. Um, I'd love to hire you as a captain. Um, this is if you were to get your captain's license, which then you would hire me as a captain in his company, which I did. So I actually took, uh, there's a lot of different crash courses that you can take. I took like a 10 day mm-hmm. course down in, Oh, I think it was Grand Haven, Michigan. I took a course and it was 10 days, okay. uh, about eight hours a day. And you learn about the navigation the, what they call rules of the road, which is kind of funny because mm-hmm. they're on the water, but that's what they call it, uh, rules of the road. Um, so you learn a lot about the lights, the different light symbols you see out on the lake, uh, different boats mm-hmm. and the positioning and uh, a lot about navigation, the rules, and then kind of charting and plotting too. Um, there's a lot that goes into it over those 10 days and you kind of like, I think there was three or four tests. I think it was four tests that we had to test out of and you had to score so high in each category Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, to to keep going. So um, the the courses, you don't have to take the courses. You could just go and take the test from the U S coast guard, but the courses benefit, they, they teach you so much information. And it's, there's so much useful information and all that's on the test. They basically teach you uh, everything okay. that will be on the test when you do take it. So I took the test right there with the course that I was uh, in and uh, it was very beneficial. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, and then what we do is now as a, as a certified captain, we have to renew our license every year. We don't have to take every mm-hmm. five years, but uh, we don't have to re- retake those tests so we just fill out some paperwork yeah. and renew some of our certifications uh cpr first aid that's mm-hmm. another certification mm-hmm. we had to take to become a captain um it's that's always that's good to know on a boat because you know you can be out there 10 miles like what we were and you could face a medical emergency and you have to know how to handle that properly Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so uh, deckhands are enrolled into uh, drug programs, and uh, that just uh, makes sure because as me myself, we're I'm enrolled in a drug program, yeah. and which makes perfect just, sense to me because you're right because you're liable have a bad, have a heart for attack or our client safety. Have a stroke out there, and you, so safety is our number now, one priority. Deckhands, do they have no, to go? We can't be under the influence well? of alcohol or drugs and taking people out. So we could get random checks. So that is. That's the only certification kind of program a deckhand has to be in is just enroll into a drug program. So other than that, that's that's real. That's you know they don't need CPR or first aid because that's the that's what the captain would have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a long day, Jeff. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, and usually, okay, that makes you know, we've done. Because it's like, it's something you know, that we will do a couple of come and go, so there's no sense in trying to um, have usually them do they training go if they're just going to do because our a couple days a little leave, slower. It's a lot of work, and I watched Bill normal, bust his ass you know, all day long. That day we did was, a 14-hour day, and that takes a lot out of a guy. Going into it, I was pretty excited. Um, kind of halfway in it, you know, I was kind of getting a little frustrated with trying to understand why we weren't getting those bites, where those fish were going, moving to, and what we had to do to get more bites for you guys. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like none of us got discouraged because it's like none of us knew enough about that body of water, but it's like we've listening is like all of us have a background in fishing. So it's like we've all had days where we've been skunked or something changes that uh, like whether it be a low pressure or cloud cover and you know can't fault any because we were dealing with that uh, was it 14 to 18 foot waves out there and that's that's a <laughs> yeah that, quite uh quite that's a, funny quite a toy I, body i tell I you what man it's uh, like Bill taking a shower was uh, extremely difficult you know it's too. like you're, so, you're still feeling the, the body in motion and then it gets a lot you getting to used to the, um, the soap out of your hair none you know, of you guys like, really got sick i know one of you guys kind of felt a little bit on the edge but it seemed like so much we got him back over to getting over that pretty quickly actually and he i think he you know didn't feel too bad yeah yeah brady you yeah Brady felt a little bit nausea, but I think it was like you said, it was like the, the, the not being able to see, have a baseline, looking at the, the shore, first time being out there. 
Uh, but also like sometimes being in that cabin that the airflow is not flowing enough for him. But as soon as he like, as long as he made it maintained outside, had that constant fresh air. And as the, and as the body became more acclimated to the waves and stuff like that, he became much, much more awake. And then when he finally closed a deal on that salmon at the very end of the day, it's like everything just kind of came together. Cause he was going to give me the, give me the rod. And then told him like, Nope, dude, you're, you're right there. It's like, it's, it's, a, there's too much of a chance of us losing this fish. And it's like, I'd just rather yeah, have yeah, the closest that, guy. That hasn't you know, they rather have, you know, one of us, me or Bill try to grab it. But, you know, then sometimes we're not the closest person to that rod either. And like I said, it, it, you got to be quick when they hit that rod. You got to be quick. And they, a lot of times when you pull it out of that rod holder, there's a lot of um, pressure going back towards the, you know, when you pull it out, there's a lot of pressure going back the other way. So it's easy to give them slack. So well, you guys did great, you know, your first trip, you know, it's a learning experience and you'll only get better from here. Yeah, exactly. And then on top of that, too, you made mention that salmon have a way of retaining that knowledge of being caught once or being hooked once, and they learn from that previous experiments. Because we had a lot of uh, f salmon charge the boat, break that t uh, yeah. tension, and all yeah, of a sudden just, I mean, just bounce. You guys you know, saw they had it happen to him twice or three times. John had it happen to me. That's really and so it's like it's one of those things where um, you're right. It's like they, they, they do maintain I mean, that knowledge lots even though of before they spawn and die. June, July. They always and like even in August, a lot of tournaments years, right out of here. So it's a lot of times they can the possibly lake. be caught. Uh, so and still retaining that knowledge, gain a lot of knowledge uh, just by based a lot all the anglers that are out here. You know. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, you know, and I kind of, I kind of pride myself on this. You know, we're on a little older boat. Then, um, um, than a lot of other ask you about your equipment because some area. of those rods are um, real, were pretty impressive. We're kind of guesstimating on like what one um, of those would set up. It's, and it's then not a newer boat, but by uh, and kind of um, probably so I try to pride myself on having new equipment and new uh, having good equipment's good. You know, how many times I've had other clients on the boat and they're talking about being on another boat and, you know, it, equipment's falling apart or, you know, it's 40 years old, you know, and it just equipment is important just to be up and new with it. And, um, you know, having new boat, old boat, you know, I, I kind of make that up with having new equipment. So, and yeah, no, it, it's pricey, you know, I, I think uh, in total, you know, we ran, well, we ran 19 rods, but I think I have about 
closer to 40 rods on the boat, to be honest with you. And each one roughly all set up with all the line, the reel, the rod. I mean, we're talking about 300 bucks a piece, just about. So. Okay, see, we were thinking like almost like $500 just for the rod and reel, but that's actually not as not as daunting as you would think it would be because I have a setup myself, and, uh, like a, he um, a heavy medium with the Cabela's uh, bait caster that has... Yeah, uh, yeah, so like... To, uh, you know, three, four hundred well, yards. A lot of the, our rods, uh, the rods aren't so it's the, like, that was, the pricey the thing. Was, for, oh, you're looking for salmon trolling no, rods. Excuse me. The, the reel was 180 but then I got it for on sale for it's 80 bucks. It was just one of those things where Cabell was just transitioning from reels, their last year's models into the new models. So, you know, for us, you know, we're fishing those bigger fish, and uh, a lot of times – there's a lot of pull, and especially when we get into waves and we'll run a little heavier gear, maybe like, uh, well, you saw maybe some of those lead balls that we run and uh, a lot of uh, our lead cores, that longer lead cores, there's a lot of tension and pressure on them. So we'll run heavier line. Uh, what we, we run is 65-pound power pro. Actually, most of them. All, all our planer boards and our dipsies are all 65 pound power pro and yeah i mean you put three four hundred yards of that on there and then uh you know you put 10 colors of lead core on there it adds pretty quickly and it, it Yeah, no, I buy all my spools with oh, yeah, uh, between two to three thousand yards. I use the same line you do for. I use thirty pound um, braid for all my lines, yeah, and that just adds up I have real quickly. Rods it's like you have forty rods. Each one has like, that's a heck of a bill uh, right there. Because it's like you have to find a place that is willing to sell it, a thousand so. yards at a at a spool. So this way, it just makes the cost per rod a little bit more reasonable. Yeah, I think my I have uh, my baitcaster only has 150 yards on it, but it's like I'm mostly doing in in uh, inland fishing, so it's like I would have to redo my setup if I was going to get on a uh, out on the boat there just to have more line, just to have that that ability. To, like if something bad happens, I can always have more to to rely on to, from there. Uh, man, when we got uh, so then as the day progressed, you know, it's like we were all pretty beat up like what's like you the, the, all of our morale maintained a pretty good uh balance with everything because we were just kind of didn't know what to expect you know because you never you, we could hit up one of those random schools go from there but as it got later in the day around one o'clock two o'clock you know it's like we started seeing a dip in morale but then it's like you you mentioned to me it's like what do you guys want to do and it's like i figured like well we know we have still some time in the daylight. Let's make that uh, 
let's go check out the bay. Like I was just saying, we'll just pass through it. If we're marking fish, if we're not marking fish, fine. Let's pack it in, head up, and head in because there's no sense in burning up all that gas if we're not going to see anything. But then all of a sudden, you start dropping a few lines, and then uh, Doug, the. Uh, one of the guys that stayed true to the whole the whole trip, he got out he got out there and we just uh, Bill gave him a rod and reel and he got onto it and he reeled that big uh, nice king salmon in and that was uh, quite the uh, experience because I recorded the entire video all ten minutes of it listening going from that and it was a little pretty comical listening back to it I transferred it from my phone yesterday to his tablets this way and his wife and him can watch it but watching you educate uh doug on reeling things in it was just spot on because as like we uh, the audio actually turned out pretty good despite being only on a little cell phone and i thought it was very well put together because like you're just coaching him step by step by step and then doug is a very coachable person anyway so it's like he was able to just listen to you and get it all done and like because with that teamwork between the two of you and then also having bill come in to help out whatever moving rods around because there's a lot of rods that were head out back there so it's like he had to make sure we didn't cross any lines cross anything up and that was just pretty impressive and uh to get it all the way into the boat there and it's like that was um was something that i wanted doug to achieve you know because it's like we're all younger guys and so it's like we we're gonna have more opportunities to possibly catch a a 20 pound uh, salmon but it's like you know i want him to have a good experience and that's what he did he just he, he just posted on facebook that hit of his uh experience stuff like that and uh, yeah, I don't think he, he really he recognized that you have a Facebook page, so I'm sure he'll probably t uh, I'll let him know to tag you in it. But uh, he was just all floored about it. So what we end up doing with all the meat, because, well, well, let's take a step back here. So after Doug caught his fish, then it came time for Nate. And J Nate just happened to be his, like, his third time up at bat, and he got himself got him hooked into one, you know, and it's like a whole whopping minute 20 compared to Doug's 10 minutes. But uh, it was experience for him because he had fun, but he's already been catching salmon. So he had appreciation yeah, of that. And it's uh, like, it was mature and they get when we cut to, into those two different, as they start like the, turning the those older one compared to the younger one, when the they colors hit maturity of the, the flesh, four years like old was, go up the river and spawn. Uh, and Nate's and they, was more yeah, salmon. They the salmon color is very thick. And then when um, we look at Doug's, those last couple of weeks, that meat will start turning colors. It's not the bad, proteins that you know, change that after color. you know, because you saw that pigmentation of that the color. Uh, that white meat's not bad, you know, it wasn't completely white, it was uh, you could just tell it was just a little different. It was just same species, it was just the age of the fish. And you know, that that Doug's fish was starting to turn a, a little bit of color, I believe. Um, it wasn't that chrome color, right. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. So yeah, and then if you looked uh, later on that night when Brady hooked into his, and we you know played him up, his had that a little bit lighter, yeah, beautiful pink color too. Yeah, it, it's just the the timing of their maturity, and you know that one. Uh, we yes. believe, as a lot of us charter captains, yeah, that was that colors, was Brady's. His was uh, based on the water temperature that they they're living in at that time. So. Um, that chrome fish, we believe, was out in that colder water, and the, the colder mm -hmm. water will hold that color of that fish longer. And when that the darker fish, when you see starting darker fish, that fish will get in that warmer water, and uh, it starts, you know, kind of uh, progressing into getting ready to go up mm -hmm. the river quicker than that chrome one would be.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, a lot goes into it. Uh, a lot of it is uh, wind direction, wind direction, wind speed, and precipitation. Really, um, we didn't have gotcha. uh, this a kind lot of leads us in the next season. We talked around to, that we, time. We talked a lot about mudline, that mudline you know, that we, we encountered there in the us. bay. What uh, it was wind. that mudline? You know, we were in that that same area that morning. And we had one bite, and but we we mm-hmm. lacked a we lacked a mudline in there, and as you saw later on when we came back and we that wind picked up, kind of changed directions, kind of stirred that sediment up on the bottom a little bit, uh, crashing against the piers and stuff uh, to stir up that sediment, and when that happened, those fish kind of started to turn on in there, and. Uh, that water, you know, before that in the morning, that water is just so clear, um, and it's kind of important to keep not as po- okay. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, like that mudline was so important because you know, without that mudline, um, we had one mm-hmm. bite in that clear water. And then we, when that wind kind of changed and picked up uh, throughout the day, it stirred up a lot of that sediment. We started working those mud lines and what happens when those mud lines become so, so important because oh, those strange. salmon, when they're enclosed, you know, and that's, I call it a staging mode, they'll feed on everything before they go up. And yeah, the it was weird. All of a sudden, we, it that's like their last supper, for like, I call uh, it. Like three and, or four uh, seconds. So if you want to. Salmon are good for is stocking go their over prey. What you just said, again, that'd be oh, great. They'll use those mud lines to kind of benefit themselves and stocking their preys uh, because they'll still wait for mm-hmm. bait fish to come out of those, that cloud of that mud line mm-hmm. kind of, and they'll swim right along that edge. And that's, that's where we got all our bites that evening was right along that edge of that mud line. Yeah. So that gray water, it's just that mixing mm-hmm. of that, that dirty river water. And with that blue clear water, it's, it's a, that transact, transition kind of area uh mm-hmm. that's what creates that that kind of gray water and you know a lot of times i think that mm-hmm. that uh that river water harbor water oh, sometimes yeah, exactly. it can be then, too then dirty we, then after the then visibility is not very good where the gray water going by that sound white blue but it looks and, just like gray like what they, they can't see react, anything, what causes so that strictly going by that sound and what they feel and striking their prey where in that gray, their visibility becomes a little better in that. It's not as good as what that, you know, that blue clear water is, but it, it's better. So they can see a couple feet, mm-hmm. but like I said, they use that as their advantage because their, their prey can't see them, uh, you know, as easily. Yeah. Uh, salmon, salmon eat typically they're, Probably ninety-five percent of their diet is alewives, and alewives are mm-hmm. um, they 
Yeah. They can get up to mm-hmm. seven, eight inches. We saw a couple closer to nine inches this year. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest alewives I have ever seen. Um, but that's pretty much mostly what they feed on is alewives. Now, what do uh, salmon? What does what do salmon eat to consider their prey? Okay. Well, no, we'll Mm -hmm. there. There's sometimes we'll see a mudline that will push out to forty, sixty foot. you have to have quite okay. a bit of weather now with, to with that, kind of have that, that uh, mud line. Here. Does that only occur um, in that little Kiwani, bay area, or does that actually happen out at the deeper, water, uh, southern uh, part of the lake, to 100 to 300 feet deep? There's a lot more rock um, and pebbles. Uh, down towards the southern part of the lake, down by like Port Washington, okay. Sheboygan, Port Washington, Milwaukee, Racine, Pusha. Um, there's a lot more sand, and that sand will get stirred up a lot easier. And you'll actually see some of that uh, those water color variations down there more, and that will extend okay. deeper than what it will here, just because of the the bottom of the lake. Yeah, so uh, that was uh, all right. That kind of a little, little bit of a, comes a apart, strange comes fall so far. I was kind of hoping we'd you actually see some pike out here. In, in the, but what happened uh, was the water too, really what you showed me from uh, last uh, Sunday when we had that crew, uh, harbors the, the and people come out there. It's like, that and those nice pike have a little that were up in the rivers, I feel, kind of just moved down the river to try to find a little bit of cooler water. And we usually don't see that. Um, but because it warmed up in there so much, I think those fish kind of pulled back in, into the harbor and into the lake a little bit. And that's when we started catching them on our salmon gear, which is kind of, you know, rare, you know, so you, you hear well, people mm-hmm. catching one and here, one here and there off the piers in the fall. And that's not uncommon, mm-hmm. but to catch um, that size and that quantity in one day was Quite impressive. It was kind of the talk of our town around here was getting you know, four thirty four pike that were over thirty inches, and what quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah. No, we had some salmon too that morning. Um, you know, it wasn't like just we we're really? just so- getting pike. I mean, we had four salmon on that morning too, and we had five pike uh-huh. on that morning. So I mean, it was yeah. So that was, was a, quite, actually quite rare morning, then to have that all all that uh, come together like that for you. But hey, at least they had fun. The guests did.
That that it was either either one. It was it was a lot of fun. Now I want to <laughs> get down to the you, last uh, bit of it because when we watched you break that, all that meat, uh, I was I like, I've, I've I've seen. To be honest with you, I've had people that slice knife a, or, a salmon on TV, um, you know, but I never actually got to see it in person. But watching you use I that think it's that going knife, on seventeen years cut through now. that flesh I've like butter. What um, flay knife um, do you use to to have that consistency? Because it performed very very well for you. Is a fisherman solution. I always believe. I mean. There's all kinds of different knives. There's, you know, you could get the electric flame knife and, you know, that does a great job too. Me, I, I just use the hand, the regular hand knife. I like Holy in cow. the feel. I think I can make, create the best flay um, by that Cutco knife that I use, the Fisherman Solution knife. And what it does is, I don't know if you saw it, Jeff, but it extends from six inches mm -hmm. to nine inches. So when we're working on those, flaying those four-year-old salmon for you, um, you know, I always have it extended to nine inches, but uh, I like a flexible knife where some guys, they like those bubble blades and stuff. And I think that's like a samurai sword, to be honest with you. But I believe in a really flexible knife, especially to get around those rib bones when you carve those rib bones out. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe in that flexible knife is very important to get very nice clean plays <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah because i saw it when you when you when you did that I was like that was really impressive because i have a cutco knife too but not your model i have a, i have the one just basic for more uh, like the six inch blade so some of them were more like i'm used to cutting up smaller panfish now i use um a electric flay knife too but it's all depends on the scenario i like using both but it's like if i have to cut up a lot of fish i will use electric flay knife because my wife can attest to me and some of my friends is like there's been a few times where i'm, I'm flaying up 75 to 80 fish in a day uh from if we if the fish are hitting and it gets it's a lot of work with the with the a fixed blade so i it's like i was wondering like because i don't i don't catch fish that big to actually justify having that long of a knife so i was really impressed with how that all all that all worked out and especially when you get around those rib bones to get right underneath that and just to cut them right off it's like that was impressive and it's like you're able to it's like i'm looking forward to cooking all that up so what we did with the fish, we divided up all, all evenly here. But one thing I want to ask you about no, is like I, the, I don't need the them. caviar, the salmon eggs, because we broke that up between Brady, Nate, and I. I, I, don't, I only grabbed, I only took a small mark. Nate's the one that actually knows a little more what he's doing with it. Yeah, well, I, a lot just of kind of, purposes they'll uh, use them for is to try to catch more salmon, salmon or trout. Most, of, most um, people that I know that always just use so, them for ice Especially fishing. this time so of year. Like, what, Those, now, you said you don't eat them, you? that we had. Or nice yeah, big mature like, okay, eggs. Well, maybe, what maybe people do is they'll like, tie spawn sacks the, on them. The purposes you know, that people use those eggs for. Oh, maybe anywhere from four to eight to ten eggs, and then they'll put like this okay. orange mesh and create a spawn sack, and then tie it up, and they'll actually cast that out. And what salmon will do is they'll just go around with their mouth open, swimming around, and they'll kind of sense, you know, that's not their eggs and they want, they, they, they want dominance. So they'll eat those other eggs because they're not their own eggs. So mm -hmm. they want their eggs to be dominant, you know, and uh, 
So they'll eat other eggs. So people, a lot of people use those as bait. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, like, to how they taste, because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an adventurous kind of person like that, because, like, you know, I'm, you never know I'm gonna, when, when I'm going to kick the bucket, you know? So it's like, I want to try it at least once. If I don't like it, I only took the smallest amount because I gave Nate the majority of it. And then Brady had a, a decent amount, too, so this way he can play around with it, too, as well. So we all have our different ideas. So what we had up doing is that... Uh, with the, with the fish that we split up, we, you get you did a fantastic job breaking up all the all the bags. This way, we all had a pretty much equal amount of uh, weight, and so we took between uh, John and I, we because we, we lived together, we we just took our fish and we put them all in a proportionate amount to uh, two flies per bag, filled them up with water, froze them so this way they oh, can yeah. have a little Salmon bit more longevity. One of the and best fish there are. Dog to know, take. Two bags of ours uh, and to be and fresh like that, you can't beat And it, we'll just pick know? him up whenever we see him next, whether we're either going down there to hang out with him down an aisle or he comes back up here. And then we'll turn around, and then we have another bag just for us to, to no, eat. So it's like, I like, love uh, salmon. Salmon tastes so delicious. Wisconsin will plant. Um, mm-hmm. We've been planting 1.2 million the last two years. Um Mm-hmm. And we'll be continuing now, the, to plant the that for another year. Here on, on Lake uh, oh, Michigan. I think another are those year mostly farmers kinda, or those all back wild? and kind of decide what they'll plant for the future again. Uh, the stocking's really been low. As off in Wisconsin here, we really rely on that. So those four-year-old will go up in the rivers to spawn. We have an egg collection facility here in Kiwani that will of those four-year-olds okay. and what they'll do is they'll kind of help them uh um re uh reproduce uh, help that you know help help it along Knock it off. um and then they'll raise those fish at a certain temperature okay. those eggs so they start uh hatching and then they'll keep those eggs uh and those those they grow very quickly and uh, mm-hmm. they will. Oh, I don't know the time period from when they hatch the eggs to the mm-hmm. fingerling, you know, but uh, from fall to spring, I mean, and spring, those, those eggs that, you know, all the fingerlings that were once eggs, they're already three, four inches. And I'm actually involved in a program here. Uh, in uh, one of our local fish clubs here is we have net pens and what the DNR will do is they'll put those fingerlings in our net pens and we'll kind of raise them for another three weeks and feed them. What we do is we try to get them acclimated acclimated to the environment Mm -hmm. and kind of get that scent of the Kiwani river in kind of engraved in their head. So they know where to come back to when they have to spawn when they mature. Um, so I'm kind of involved in that and kind of releasing those fish this last year, okay. this year we did, uh, it was close to 35,000 fingerlings that we released out of those net pens that the DNR gave us. And, um, it was a total of about 70,000. Okay. Uh, 
total of plantings that we got. And we really rely on those that stocking what the DNR gives us because we don't have that much natural reproduction happening over here in Wisconsin. Yeah, well, so from the so Wisconsin you, to the Michigan side, the it's a point? world like, is difference. Is it from the runoff um, from uh, the Michigan the rivers over our, there where they see a lot more natural reproduction? Those rivers are a lot uh, faster running. Growth, you know, where uh, there's a lot more drop in those rivers, and the rivers are more pebble, rock-based rivers, where our rivers are more clay-based, you know, that mud kind of, and we have a lot slower okay. rivers where there's not much elevation change in our rivers. So you don't get a lot of current there and the water temperature is a lot warmer and that okay. has a lot to do with uh, what is reproducing in our rivers naturally. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. That's understandable how it all breaks down there. Hey, we've, we've hit a lot of solid topics here, man. Thank you for being such a, a, a helpful guest here. So well, on our way back yesterday, we were, we were discussing about our next plans because we are, I think we're going to do, is going to do something. We haven't quite decided if we're going to do a June fishing trip or if we want to catch quantity or if we want to wait until September again and where we catch oh. a little bit more bulk. But we're thinking yeah, we want to yeah. probably so do a book like a whole we weekend. We actually like do, a do, a, do a lot of, do a six hour one morning and do a six hour another morning. Or I'll knock like a little bit off on each trip. Uh, break it all uh, up. I'll have a lot of groups that will come we, over we from makes, Minnesota, western part of the state, like what you guys did. And they'll do Is that something that you guys looking to do for to break to help? And that's why if fishing slow one trip, usually, you know, we can try to make up for it in the next trip. So, you know, if you do get a bad day, usually we'll make up for that um but uh no it's you know and it, we a lot of people that come over and book trips mm -hmm. like that uh stay a couple nights kind of and then you know you don't get kind of worked over from being on the boat so long either mm -hmm. No, that's that is an understatement right there. Because man, the, dealing with those big waves out there, ten miles out, we were all five of us were still feeling the effects up until last night. Uh, the, today, I feel pretty solid on on ground. Now I don't feel like I'm still swaying back and forth on the boat because everyone was kind of complaining, like they were all tensed up because they're trying to balance themselves out and such. And I've been on Lake Okoboji where it's like 40 mile winds and you're, you're dealing with those big, like three to three to six foot waves. And that's still hard on, the, hard on a man's body, but it's just easier just to kind of maintain steady breathing and just kind of relax as they're trying to constantly trying to, trying to uh, create a stable scenario, just kind of roll with it. Cause otherwise you're just going to beat yourself up. And it's like, then the following day is going to be even worse. Cause it's like you had to use 
energy from the next day to the end of the, in the, in the day you're on the water tip, kind of keep yourself going. So, man, I think that's what we're going to probably end up doing next year. So we're just trying to figure out like what we all want to do because we all had a blast. We absolutely loved it. Um, I'm thinking what we might do is maybe just stick with a four guy crew just because you're right. You're like four guys. You can get in and out much quicker. You could rotate in. And uh, this way, like, I almost thought like if we're just going to rotate uh, out where there's one guy on deck and where we have Bill or yourself down there. So this way then everybody has a more up and back type scenario. So this way then there's not so many bodies on that deck. Your deck is big, but when you have four guys on there and plus Bill, it's like it, it, uh, you lose a lot of square footage real quick. Yeah, so you can go to my website. It's uh, www.wetdreamsportfishing.com. Uh, you can go. All I got all my information on there, my email, uh, my phone number. You can give me a call. My, it did, it did. I always have my cell phone uh, see, on here. me. It's let's, 920 Why don't you tell the audience what's the best way to get a hold of you? That's probably the best way to get a hold of me, a cell phone, if you would like to book a trip. Um, if you just want information, um, kind of about more okay. what, what we do out here, where we're located, you can go on that website. I also have a Facebook page. I try to keep my Facebook page kind of up to date on what's going on out here. You know, I'll take a couple pictures, videos, and kind of share that weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, uh, we'll do a couple lives here and there. Um, and I, I, I've heard a lot that a lot of people like my lives and I'll kind of talk about what we're using a little bit while we're catching those fish on too. So they're, they're a little bit informative too, you know, it's, it's kind of nice. Okay. So, um, wet dream. I didn't actually think of that myself, but, uh, when I was in college, I uh, I won a fishing tournament up there. So I bought my own 16-footer when I was 16 or when I was in high school. Oh. And I brought that up to college One thing I didn't ask you is, like, what, uh, how'd you come my up with My freshman what year fishing up there in uh, the town where my college was located, Sault Ste. Marie. I actually uh, was fishing a salmon tournament there, and I won it. So I says, you know, I'm going to put that money that I won towards a bigger boat because i had so much gear you know it was mm-hmm. just overflowing on that 16 foot boat so i felt like i need a new boat well a week later i seen a couple of boats up by a bank then they had them for sale they kind of repossessed them and uh i kind of went down to the bank and asked them i'm like hey what's you know what's going on with these boats and one of them i did like and it was called wet dream and yeah. it was kind of a little more of a fishing boat than the other ones. And they said, uh, you know, just we're taking silent bids and they're the highest bidder. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a college kid. I don't have a lot of money, you know, but I'm going to take that money that I just won and kind of put that into that bid and see if I can, you know, win that mm-hmm. boat. And a week later, the bank called me and said, hey, you know, you're the new owner of the Wet Dream. So that's how it came about. We kept on doing fishing tournaments up there and we kept doing very well and um everybody kind of recognized the boat more than me myself mm-hmm. the captain so they uh they says oh yeah. yeah you're the captain of the wet dream right yeah so the name of the boat kind of stuck with me and um you know it's everybody 
recognize that name. So, you know, why change it? You know, it's, it's a little funny, you know, it's, uh, we don't, it's nothing serious or anything. Um, you know, it's all good humor. <laughs> yeah. No, um, you know, it's, we're coming to close our season here within the next couple of weeks. Um, we still have a couple, uh, dates available if anybody still wants to get out. Um, the four year olds, they just mm-hmm. started this that's last excellent. week. That's excellent. That's, I think that's, a, is there any, if you, you have any cl- uh, concluding um, thoughts or anything, closing arguments you want to say otherwise, that's a great note to end it on. Or two out in the harbor here. So, um, and then we'll actually pull our boat, uh, mid-October mm-hmm. and call it a close mm-hmm. and then we'll start thinking about ice fishing come uh, December. We do pike and trout through the ice. So, um, yeah, yep, yep. We'll target uh, steelhead, brown okay. trout, and northern pike and uh, we'll do kind of all-day trips up uh, through the ice and that, that's a lot of fun too. Um, uh, we, we use a lot of automatic fishermen's I don't know if you're familiar with the automatic fishermen, oh, but you, they're kind you of a continue on with your charter rod on, the ice so, on in it. And then when you get a fish on, you just pull the rod out of the kind of the base and you fight the fish on a rod instead of hand lining it on that tip up. So we do a lot of that. And, you know, we'll do, I'll take groups of like 10 people out at a time and we'll run, uh, you know, no, if I got 10 enough. people plus me and, um, you know, my dad can't helping me. Uh, we'll run 36 tip-ups in there, and I, it, it, it's pretty fun. It's a lot to keep up with when those fish are biting. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. When you have when you have 36 rods, a lot can happen pretty quick. Right, man, but that'd be so much fun. All of a sudden, you just go ting, 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 ting. It's like everybody just running out to to get to them real quick. Yeah, and I have a ice house where we uh, with a TV. Okay, and we'll, we'll, we're talking we'll about do doing an ice fishing trip too. With, like whether we go so to we'll do, like we'll Bentwell, kind of lacrosse, like or down Ryland or someplace out. So uh, it's I think kinda, we, uh, we'll definitely bring this up to the group of guys and see what they it, think about it's that. It's more like a party. That kind seems of like thing, a lot of fun because getting ten guys together can really add a lot of fun. That's right. Yeah, yeah, but it would because it's like yeah. Everybody likes one of my goals is to always try to give my clients the best time. All right. Well, doing thank you, Cody, for being on the podcast. This has absolutely been a hit. Um, you you know, gave us all a fantastic extra, experience you know, time on the water. Bit, uh, I mean, you went two hours beyond the normal guys. 12 hours, so, and we still came yeah, out ahead you know, with a couple a of fish. And it, was an experience it was a pleasure having that. you guys on the on the boat. I hope to see you uh, come spring or even this winter or next June, whatever that may be. Anybody can, you guys can just let me know. And uh, if anybody else wants to, you know, start booking for next year, we're starting, we're taking, we're taking bookings we for next year already. It. So you can start planning ahead already. Mm-hmm.
we'll definitely be in touch there. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you, Jeff. Right, that's excellent. So, like you, like uh, Cody said, you can find his information yes, on Facebook. You. He gave us his yes, phone number. This you, information Jeff. will be found in the show notes, so you won't be it won't be too hard to find it. But uh, reach out to him and uh, book your trip. Well, thank you, Cody. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Yes, thank you, Jeff.